0: I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund, backstage capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. This episode is brought to you by Digital Ocean. Let's go. Welcome back to your first million podcast. Wow. I mean, I knew that doing this podcast would be fun, would be informative for me and therefore for other people and would be well worth the time and effort and and carving out this time and to do it in my schedule. But I can't tell you how much it's exceeded even those high expectations. It has been really wonderful getting to talk to people from all backgrounds because really it comes down to everyone is human. Everyone goes through ups and downs. And the people that I've been talking to, at least, are are interested in, in paying it forward and teaching, whether that be with capital or with their learnings and it's just been very fulfilling plus your comments and your sharing and your rating and your downloads all of that is I see every single one and I really really appreciate each one and um, I hope to keep doing this I, I hope to keep going I want to take a special moment. I know we mentioned it at the top of the, of the episode and we'll mention it again, but I want to say once more, thank you to DigitalOcean. Before I, the podcast was even recorded, they stepped up and sponsored uh, the launch of it. And I just wanted to thank them for doing that. I'm having conversations with some other companies about, about joining as sponsors, and I really uh, appreciate that. And, um, yeah, just, it's just, that's been a really fun thing because, you know, we're talking about money on the show a lot. And I mentioned this in one of the episodes, but I was offered money to sell the show before we got started, um, to sell it in kind of a package deal or whatever. And I was going to do it cause it's a lot of money, <laughs> but I thought, I thought, man, I'm having so much fun. I love being able to just own all of this and, and, and be free when, you know, to post whatever we want to post, whenever we want to post. And so um, I've, I've kept it indie for now. We'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens. We'll see who else becomes part of our family when it comes to who we interview. And this is just the beginning. We're only a few episodes in. So I can't wait to see this archive being built and... Um, see what what comes of that. I am excited to talk to you all about Don Dixon, who is the subject of this episode. I interviewed Don at my home in Los Angeles just a few days ago. don has been to my home before. I've known Don for years now because I am invested through Backstage Capital in two of her companies. One is called Flat Out of Heels and one is called Popcom. And Popcom, you'll hear about both of them, but Popcom is what we're really focusing on in this episode. It's what she does day to day. And... Dawn became, recently became the first black woman to raise a million dollars in a crowd equity fund under the certain regulation. She even believes that it's she's the first black person because um, we haven't been able to find a black man who's done it either. So if you know of the person who's done it before her, please let us know. But that's what we think. And so in any case, she's done something really remarkable. The way she did it, was really interesting too. Because again, let's go back to this. Let's be real. It's not all about money, right? Like, I mean, our theme song could be Jesse J's money song. It's not about that. It's about like, what does money afford? What, What different things does money afford? And how do you manage money and not have it manage you? So she, Dawn is like, an open book. She keeps it real, real. And I think you'll enjoy this if you've ever wondered about um, crowd equity funding just for any kind of company. And if you, or if you um, just want to know more about startups and getting started like that day one, kind of thing. I think that's what a lot of people have asked me about. It's that day one, I have an idea. How do I get going? What do I do? Why do I know how to navigate? She's she breaks it down for us. And she's not, um, she is very real, very raw. She does not sugarcoat anything. And I think that that's why I've bet on her twice. She's the only company in our portfolio, the only person in our portfolio that we've bet on twice in two different companies. We definitely try to bet more than once in one company, but this is a first for us. So there's a lot of firsts happening. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited for you all to to get to know Dawn. She's a a fighter. She's a survivor. She is uh, someone who wants to take thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, Black people, with her, (laughs) uh, if we're being real honest. And at the same time, her team is very diverse. Um, And she knows how to navigate these different worlds, and she wants to share that information with you all. So I, I really do think that no matter what your profile is, what your background is, or what you do, what kind of job you have, I do think you'll get something from something from this interview um, in a way that other interviews can be more focused on one lane. Donna's breaking down life. She's giving you keys. She has a podcast herself called Bars. She's dropping them left and right in this interview. So uh, get into this one and, and uh, let me know what you think afterwards. I'll see you on the other side of that. About PopCom, what is PopCom when you do the elevator pitch?
1: Yes, PopCom is an automated retail technology company. We have a hardware and software solution for self-service retail, which means we make vending machines
0: and kiosks smart using
1: data and analytics.
0: Okay, so for someone who is living their everyday life, <laughs> where would they see a PopCom? How would they understand what a PopCom is? They won't
1: see it yet, but very soon this year, you will see the Pop Shop vending machines enabled with PopCom technology in places like LAX and other airports and malls around the country. So essentially, we do for vending machines what Google Analytics does for websites. So just tracking mm. user engagement, user journey, demographic profile, conversion rates, and things like that.
0: So is it an actual uh, physical
1: piece? Yes, we have a physical machine called the Pop Shop that I invented, but our sauce is our software, is our operating system that can also integrate into other people's vending machines and kiosks
0: mm-hmm. as well. And I'm asking all these questions like I don't know, but I do. I do. You're a master. You know. <laughs> uh, I learned from a, a friend of mine named Scott Hanselman that you advocate for the listener. Thank when you. you. Do That's podcast. good. I love that because people yeah. have a greater understanding of what we do for sure. Yeah. So if I'm walking in the airport and you know you're trying to get from the gate to the to the baggage claim and you see the Best Buy uh, kiosk and you see this and that, that's kind of what you are. Yes,
1: just cooler looking machines, but certainly the same market as the Best Buy and the Benefit Cosmetics, just more... um More
0: high-tech, cooler tech, cooler hardware. And what made you want to do that to begin with?
1: I got into it because of my first business, which you're also an investor in, Flat Out of Heels, which are rollable ballet flats for women when their feet hurt. And my idea was that when women's feet hurt, they need relief now on the spot. And the best way to deliver a product on the spot is vending machines. You know, even Amazon Prime, an hour ain't enough. It ain't fast enough when your feet hurt. Right. So I said, you know, I want to get into vending machines. And then I realized that... The vending machines on the market today and that have been around since basically 1930, the same exact design, they're just not efficient. They're not cool looking and they're not tech enabled. So, you know, I wasn't able to get the data that I needed to understand how my business was performing from the vending machine hardware and software that exists in the market today. So that's how PopCom
0: came to life. And I saw, speaking of your Flat Out of Heels, I saw, we saw Amaya yesterday. And the first thing she said to you was that she was at the club in Vegas. Yes. And she would have loved some Flat Out of Heels I hear it every day. Machine. That's why I never gave up. And you I hear it, hear it every, every day. day. Every day. Every day. Since
1: 2011 That's why No matter what happens I don't quit
0: So you went You you were a very Industrial Industrious Industrious person Because You saw a problem Years ago With Women Mostly women Yeah the feet hurt and they want to switch out of their heels and you, you you provided a product for that. Then within that own product, you found your own pain point and getting that product out to people. So yeah, you distribution, have, you, you invented uh, the PopCom. Pop Shop. Pop Shop. OK, so then the reason I wanted you on this podcast is because you have recently had a milestone that is groundbreaking, what yes. how do you describe that to people?
1: You mean the fundraising milestone? I do
0: mean well you've had so there's so several, many, you know, several, so many. you know, how you, you how know you? but I
1: think the fundraising milestone is the most notable recent accomplishment which is just me deciding that I was going to go the non-traditional route to raise capital um, to expand the business and decided to go the crowdfunding route through the Reg CF which is Reg CF crowdfunding through Title III, which allows you to raise up to a $1,070,000 per 12-month calendar year from accredited and non-accredited investors to a general solicitation
0: online. So let's talk about that just for a second, because what people are used to when they hear the word crowdfunding is um, Kickstarter. Indiegogo. 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 And, like and, that. so, and that's um, that's really great, because when you do a Kickstarter, you can support someone, maybe a creative person or even a a company, you can support them. You can get the product early, that sort of thing. But you do not gain equity in that company when you do one of those types of crowdfunding. Why is this different? Because this is relatively new.
1: This is equity crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the way that I raise money actually just became legal in 2018. So last year, which allows you to, it's two ways. So I also did a token sale. I tokenized my cap table um, which SEC allowed for tokens as a security, which essentially it's the same as a share, but it's a digital, it's a digital share. It's a token. Like it doesn't really perform any other way other than, you know, it's a digital share and you can put it in your digital wallet. So I decided I want to do it that way because I'm forward thinking and I see the way that, you know, technology is moving, crypto is moving. It's not a cryptocurrency, it's not a payment, it's a token as a security. Mm-hmm. So this is not Bitcoin. It's not scary, a Bitcoin. You can't buy nothing with words. a Popcom token. It is a security, like a share mm-hmm. is a token. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting a paper certificate, the way they used to back in the day, where you buy stock, you get a stock certificate. This is a digital version of a stock certificate. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a tokenized security, which is new. This is very new. So you raised the $1 million
0: and, and what did you become?
1: I did raise, you know, and it was very surprising and I was very happy that the community came behind me the way that they did. And we raised in, you know, we maxed it out. We raised one point three million, actually, and only Mm -hmm. could take a million seventy. And I became the first, I believe, black person. They call me they say black woman, but the first black person to raise over a million dollars in equity crowdfunding Mm -hmm. round in the world.
0: Right. Which we are in the on the ground floor of right now. And you are the first and you can't take that away from you. How did you do that? That's the big question because first of all, um, people could put in what was the minimum people could put in. The minimum was two hundred and fifty-two dollars
1: for my particular campaign. You it, can set your minimums. Why did you decide on that number? I felt like two 250, fifty-two um, is it is. Um, High enough to kind of filter out people that are not very serious. You know, it's not like $50, $20, but it's low enough that it's affordable for an everyday worker, you know, you know, a middle-class person that wants to invest and wants to um, get into private equity. Because as you know, um, prior to this JOBS Act being passed in 2012, if you're not an accredited investor, meaning you make $200,000 a year as an individual, $300,000 a year as a couple, you cannot invest in private equity, privately held companies. You have to, you you just couldn't. And mm-hmm. then, even if you did have that, most of the time in our communities, you don't have the network to get that access. No, you can't get into so you can every get deal. the deal. Yeah, you know. So I keep seeing these things floating around about Uber. Somebody invested five thousand, turned twenty five million. Well, somebody had to call you and say, "Hey, you have five thousand to invest." Absolutely,
0: it was like a very... you had to have a
1: friend to put yeah. you onto that deal.
0: And so this democratizes that. Absolutely. And not only does this this reg what does it see? C- Reg CF under Reg- Title Three of the JOBS Act. Yeah. Not only does that start to um, democratize things, but it, it wasn't just like this thing was, first of all, there was years and years of getting it legal, Yeah, right? There were so many years. people involved in getting it legal. But then once it was legal, you have to really have have had to study and understand this in a a way that you're almost a, I mean, you're an expert now. I spent a year studying it
1: intensely and I did blog about the whole process on my medium blog, medium.com and forward slash Dawn Dixon and to share the journey because it was not easy, but I knew and I realized I was doing something that's very, groundbreaking. And at the same time, there was a lot of resistance from the traditional um, community. Not, Of course, not backstage, but the traditional community <laughs> was like, no, if you do this, we don't want to invest because we don't want all these people in your cap table. But there's only one line item on my cap table representing that entire round. It's very similar to a syndicate.
0: Yes. So, So there's going to be people listening, some people who are um founders who totally understand what you're talking about. Some people who are just like, I don't get this part of it. That's yeah. okay. Basically what, what Donna's saying is that usually when you do it, when you raise money from investors, each person or each entity that invests in that company has one uh place on your, your cap table, which is the list of investors, essentially. What some investors who are not as educated fear, is that when you do a crowd equity raise, or they say they fear it? I think they use it as an excuse. It but is what the, what they say they fear is that oh, you have hundreds of people on your cap table. That's too messy. That's too complicated. And what what really happened in your case, and in a lot of cases that are done with, methodically and with with forethought, is that it only represents one one place on that yes, cap it's table. One place
1: on the list of investors yeah. that encompasses. 2,300 individuals under the same rules and under the same, you know, terms of investment, which means you don't have to deal with all those people. You deal with one body of individuals. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it's an excuse.
0: Yeah. And, but, so that's, you went, you said 252 was the minimum. Then how many people ended up investing in that 1.3 or that one that you count?
1: Yeah, the one, the million seventy that we actually take out a little bit under 2,300, um, you know, we had about, and the average investment was $500 mm-hmm. which we had probably about 10 people invest between 8 and 10,000 like 10 individuals and then the rest were really you know 250 to 1000 yeah. and i love that it's micro investors and it really really shows is and, and i let I'm very proud of now we have 2300 people that invest in early stage tech companies Yes. So when people say there's no investors or black people don't invest or diverse communities don't invest or people with, you know, who don't have one hundred thousand dollars a year don't invest. Well, yes, they do. And we're continuing to show that over and over again now.
0: Give me an an example of someone who invested that didn't know you before, who you've met because you're on the roadshow right now. You're talking to people, you're meeting people, you know, shaking hands, thanking people for investing at these different cities give me a profile of somebody who invested in what, what would they have known about venture capital or tech startups before? And today? definitely.
1: And that's the great thing about it. You know, we did raise the money. I said, i want to go out and I want to touch the people. I want to like meet them in person. I can't go to every city, but we're going to the top five cities from the, the campaign. And we had our first kickoff last month in Columbus, Ohio, which was Ohio was our number one state, mm. which is where, you know, I'm from, which is amazing. And, you know, a lot of people, they saw it on Facebook. We were, we were, crushing them with the Facebook ads and then they saw it on the Breakfast Club yeah. which was an amazing exposure for me but they saw the interview on in the Breakfast Club they became aware of that they could get into early stage tech private equity through this campaign and you know I'll give a, a woman that comes to top of mind is an older woman um she's you know a career woman she has her typical 401k and investments but she's never invested in tech She never angel invested because it's kind of like intimidating to go give a stranger your money and go through the legal work that you have to go through with doing an angel investment and looking at term sheets when you're not that type of investor, which is a great thing about platforms like StartEngine is they do that work for
0: you. Mm -hmm. StartEngine... Start Engine is where you did that's where I raised there's several of these platforms Mm -hmm. and you chose Start Engine and it's it's worked out for you
1: yes so she saw the Breakfast Club interview she did googling on me seeing my story and she said you know I want to support this this young woman another another person that comes to mind is a young lady a very a very young woman in her early 20s um, just out of college got her first job and you know she's interested in tech she wants to be a founder she's inspired by me as a founder and she's like you know I want to get in on something and And someone tweeted me um, a couple weeks ago that I make them feel as sophisticated as any investor in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. That that touched me because now that bridged the gap. Like they have access to these deals because, of course, I have people on my cap table that are VCs. I bridge the gap between like everyday person and a VC and also the information that they're now privy to. I mean, I'm very transparent. Of course, raising money on this platform, all of your documents, your financials, your projections, they're public now. So that's like, I'm out there. But I wanted them to be able to see, like, okay, a what does a term sheet look like? What does a you know, reg CF filing look like? What do projections look like? I'm educating people as I go. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and And you don't have any insights into... The demographics of your investors. I mean, except for what you've seen, from what I've
1: seen and from what I can gauge, I can comfortably say I believe that about eighty-five percent of them are uh, African American, really uh, black. But we have twelve countries and forty-two states. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Think about
0: that. How impactful what you just said is. Mm -hmm. So, of twenty-three hundred or so investors. Uh, who the average investment was 500 across 12 countries, you said. 42 states. 42 states in the U.S. You think 80% or so were Black. Yes. And um, a lot of that did come from The Breakfast Club. I want you to tell me how you broke into getting on such a a high-profile platform.
1: You know, I always reference back to, like, I've been an entrepreneur 19 years, and I've been building— relationships for that long. And, you know, being a person of integrity, being out there, having my face in the room, all those things contributed to like what happened. But, you know, from building a network of mutually beneficial relationships, a friend of mine, he is, um, he works for Interscope, which of course that's Breakfast Club is primarily like around music. And then there's other things, other platforms, politicians and such, but he really believes in what I'm doing he also invested in pop and He was like, you know what? Let me try to get you on the Breakfast Club. You have a very powerful message. It's, you know, the culture, a lot of the culture and the millennial culture, you can find them on the Breakfast Club and on the Shade Room. So mm-hmm. I actually put, I was on both. Okay. okay. You know, I, I, I
0: placed the ad on the Shade Room. And the Shade Room is run by a, a black woman. A black woman. Her yes. name's
1: Angie. Placed the ad on the Shade Room, paid for it. And then I didn't pay for placement on the Breakfast Club. It was through my network. But they believed, and I also have a relationship with Angela Yee, but- That the message of, you know, spreading and creating wealth in underrepresented communities is important for their platform. Mm
0: -hmm. And what if anyone's listening, I mean, you're not going to really go from, you know, working at a nine to five to tomorrow. You're doing a crowdfunding and raising a million. So you can't really go A to B or A to Z. But what, what, what would you know, the number one question I'm asked everywhere I go, number one question I'm asked, especially by women of color. How do I get started? What do you say when people say that?
1: I mean, you know, I just feel like get started. I mean, write it down. The, The start is write it down. Like, what do you want to accomplish? What are the steps that you're going to take? If you're not sure of the steps, go research people that have done what you want to do and look at the steps they've taken. Because people like yourself, Arlen, and me, we're very vocal about our journey. You can see our journey all over the place now. What did we do? It started with writing the plan out. And then seeking out mentorship or going, being in the building, paying to go to conferences, sitting in the seats. Before I was on the stages, I was in the seats. Mm -hmm. Before they were having me come speak, I was in line to talk to the speakers. Say that again. Before I was on the stages, I was in the seats and I paid to be in those seats and I invested in myself and I invested in building my network. And I was very, always very deliberate and intentional with my networking and, and what I wanted to gain and what I had to offer. What does
0: networking mean to you?
1: Networking means building mutually beneficial relationships that span Time. They don't just. They don't just happen instantly. It takes time. Even you and I. How long did we engage before you invested? Probably mm-hmm. eight months mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. me just following up and showing up and supporting and retweeting and not just showing that I just want something from you, but that I can extend whatever I have to offer. And and a lot of times we don't realize or value what we have to offer. Even a retweet. I mean, I tell people, listen. If you couldn't invest in my campaign, you reposting it, you touch somebody for me. Right. That was value. Right. So you always have something to bring to the table. But going to a situation asking for something without paying it forward in any way, it it doesn't it doesn't result in real networking and real relationships. Mm-hmm. And also um, being offline, you know. Online, I'm I'm a little older, so I come from a time What's where me? I'm 40 years old, mm-hmm. so I come from a time where there weren't cell phones and weren't social media. You want to meet somebody, you need to go be there. You mm-hmm. need to write a letter, do send a card. And the value of showing up and showing your face in rooms is very powerful, especially when the gap is bridged digital. If you show up at an event that they're speaking at or support something or purchase their product or you know, anything you can do to support what they're doing, in, in this case, subscribe to your podcast, share it. Mm-hmm. That's impactful. You know, so everything, like being very deliberate and intentional about like the value that you can bring. And that I've comes, always been that way. comes back around. Always comes back around. Maybe not instantly and maybe not from that person. You know, you give with the expectation, no expectation of receiving from that person. I give and I know that what I give and put in the universe will come back to me from somewhere. Somewhere, maybe not from the person, somewhere, and it is proven to be that. So a lot of times we'll say, "I, so and so, they didn't support me; and they should have." I expected them to support. I don't expect anybody to do anything. Mm-hmm. I just give from my heart and from sincerity, in a place of you know being genuine, and it always comes back to me every time.
0: So I'm really excited about our sponsors for this episode, Digital Ocean. I spoke at their employee lunch a few months ago in New York City at their headquarters. And I was just blown away by their team, by their diversity in the room, by the community that they've built, the curiosity uh, of thought there. It was really, really fun. And they are some really cool people. So when we partnered to sponsor and launch this podcast, I was stoked. Let me tell you a little bit about what they are and who they are and what they're offering us. So DigitalOcean is a cloud platform that makes it easy for startups to launch high-performance modern apps and websites with simple, predictable pricing, no gotcha pricing, and a UX that developers around the world love. You can stop worrying about your cloud hosting and storage bills and have more time to just focus on your business. We all need more time. So that's not all. They want to make it even easier for new businesses to launch apps in the cloud. If you're a startup, don't miss out on applying for their incredible Hatch Incubator program. Over 2,000 startups in DigitalOcean's Hatch have received amazing perks, like a year's worth of free cloud infrastructure credits, special events, prioritized support, technical training, and more. Learn more about DigitalOcean's global startup community and apply for Hatch at d-o dot c-o slash backstage that's d-o dot c-o slash backstage what are the toughest times for you what have been the toughest in this journey do you think I'm not specifically necessary necessarily but what types of things are the toughest for you because you're very you seem very strong yeah together
1: I mean the toughest is um You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, of course, running out of money. But even before that, it's like when nobody believes in it and you have to just like prove it on your own, Mm -hmm. truly Mm -hmm. on your own. And it is tough. But, you know, that's when I go within because that's when you're like, Do you really believe in this? Like being self-aware, is this, can you really do this? Like if you didn't have the money, would you still do it? Mm -hmm. Because I've run out of money several times and I still did it. And that's how, you know, like people say, what should I do with my life? Do what you would do if you didn't have the money.
0: I'm going to let that be silent for a second. So y'all can take that in.
1: <laughs> I mean, because when I, we ran out of money and I still did it. And I said, I love this. And yes, it's hard because I, I don't have the funding to do exactly what I want to do, but I can do something. Yeah, Every day I could do something small yeah. and it may take me longer than someone that's raised 20 million. Because typically people in my industry of hardware, they raise like a minimum of 20 million. I still have only raised 2.5, which we're in a great place. Yeah. And I and own my business and I have control. So
0: that's, a, that's something really important to point out, too, because we make a big deal about there's only been maybe fewer than 50 black women. I don't know the exact number today, but it's been fewer than 50 black women who have raised a million or more in venture for their startups. And that's not a huge deal because, you know, you're trying to do, go out there and get revenue and you're trying to do your thing. But it, it's big when you think about how much money is out there and how much is being invested in yeah. your competition and how you're supposed to be able to stand on the same footing uh, as as the next person who is getting the five million, the ten million, the twenty million to experiment and to take risk, and as Roberta Luca recently said on another episode, to fail exactly, and then get back up and and learn from that failure exactly. So in these moments where you ran out of capital, because what I want people to understand is a little bit about just quickly your background, kind of where you came from, and um, you know that it doesn't just you get the first, because you had a million, you raised a million in, in, yes. in venture. Yes. And and angel and venture. And then it doesn't just like change your life and everything's perfect. You no, just, I ran, it's, it's ran just out. It's just the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so talk, let's talk about a little bit about that. And then we'll go back to your, just your early, early days.
1: I mean, I think, you know, that's interesting because when before I raised that money from VC and from angel, and I was just like looking at, at this time, 10 black women that had raised the money and all of my, you know. Peers of other races um, that have raised money and I'm like, I just want to raise a million because I know once I raise a million problem solved, you know, (laughs) I'm in there. Yeah,
0: because people hear a
1: million dollars and they're like, oh, my
0: God, for a company, though.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when you think about what you're burning through, which what you're spending every month and what it costs to get your product out and the cost of failure. You know, the cost of making mistakes, building the wrong software, building something that doesn't work. Iteration. I built four versions of the hardware already. That is not cheap. So I got that first money and I, I thought it was going to put me on a certain playing field in a certain, um, in you certain know, category, an arena. In arena yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, okay, now I'm good. And in a way, like it did, but it also shifted my mindset because what I feel and I... You know, I feel now looking like in hindsight, several of the VCs that invested in me invested in me just for a a checkbox. Like, okay, here's a black woman. You say we don't have diversity. Here here go a black person. We'll give her, you know, 50,000, but they won't give me the support and the follow on that I need. Mm -hmm. And what startups need more than money is support Mm -hmm. and and, you know, need advice and mentorship. And then they need to have that follow on capital to get them once they've figured it out, made the mistakes. They need to know they're going to be able to go on because once you want for me. Once I figured out all the kinks, I was out of money. So once I got it down to like, mm-hmm. now I'm ready to roll, mm-hmm. I couldn't afford to pay my team anymore and I couldn't afford to get my product built. And they left me, they were like, well, you tried it. We gave you the first amount of money. And I'm like, but I got it figured out now. Now I know what to do. And I have customers signed up. Yeah. They're like, nope, we're not giving you any
0: more money. Yeah. And the context on that, some you know, because I talked to so many different types of people, the context there is... Is it does sound like oh you had a, you had a million and that wasn't enough you know but you're talking about again a, a, a industry and a world where people have millions to work with and if you don't ha- it's almost like building a house and they want you to get a whole bunch of full time employees and increase your burn
1: like the model like you know, I keep saying one day I'm going to write a book called like the hard thing about hard things for like people of color and underrepresented communities because we have different hard things.
0: That's a book that's out by Ben Horowitz already. No, yeah, Ben so Horowitz you're has, do, I want to do, do like
1: the version for us because we have different <laughs> hard things.
0: Yeah, the harder and things. The harder things, it's or just like the different,
1: the, the shift of it, you know? So it's like, that's right. we have different struggles that we face. So yeah, a million is a lot of money. I never will discredit that I was able to raise that first million. But again, you know, I'm following the model they tell us because the model they tell us is racist first million and see we'll get follow one. The percentage of women, period, of all races, and percentage of Black people that, period, that get follow one is so extremely low. Yep. We talk about the numbers of that get the first check. Yep. Zero point two and four percent of women get money. The follow one is like, we don't even have these conversations about how much you don't get another check.
0: No, it's real. It's It's real. It's
1: horrible. So I just knew like, okay, I got the first check. As long as I hit my milestone to do what I said I was going to do with the first check, they're going to give me more. No, and that's where you die.
0: When I walk into uh, um, institutional investors who are the people who invest in funds like mine, the number one thing I'm trying to get across to them is that the goalpost for us is moved all the time. All the time. And so these questions that were asked, well, why didn't it work? I was asked recently by uh, a very um, wealthy person, man, you know, why Why did you run out of money? Why did you run out of this? Why? Did, I mean, just grilled. Like that's, he said the words, he said, that's that's uh, startups 101 that you messed up, basically. And I just looked at him and I said, well, he, for him, He would have started on second or third base. So for you to falter at first base, for you to trip up at first base, doesn't even register to him. But it's a reality for us every single day. Yet we persevere and yet Yet. we make our way. And this is what you've done here. You've hacked your way and said, you know what? I'm going to, this this isn't working. What did Tupac said The old way wasn't working? Nope. That's right. <laughs> you know, so this is, this is the different way. What do you want people to take away from um, your journey in, in the last couple of years?
1: I mean, my journey, first of all, is of tenacity. Never give up. If you believe in it and you know it can work, it can. Because it all's in the mind, first of all, everything. And I definitely believe in the power of visualization and manifestation. I see it very clearly. I've seen myself raising the money. This is when, back in December 2018, I couldn't afford an Uber.
0: You're talking about six months ago? Yes. December
1: 2018, I had used all my personal resources, all my money, keep the fund my company and keep building everything I saved up, all my credit, I was in LA. I needed to get an Uber and I had to call my friend like, hey, this Uber is $6. Can you call me an Uber? And I still didn't feel bad because at that time, I visualized myself raising as much money as I needed for my business. And I seen myself with it. I seen Mm. myself doing what I'm doing today. I seen it so clear like it was a memory. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that you know i'm in ohio so you don't have to be in new york you know california to do things there's a lot of other markets that you can that you can thrive in that also are more affordable for you as far as you know cost of living and cost of talent and then you can source everything you need from within your network and your community and before we couldn't do that, we could get like advice and maybe talent, but you couldn't get the money because of the rules around investing. But now, you know, and especially for black people, everything that you want to get well, I just say underrepresented communities in general, people that people just turn their, their back on because they don't look like them or they don't have the same education as them. You can go to your tribe. And you can get money from them. Mm. Because when the VCs turned their back on me for the follow on, I said, I'm, and they literally were like, we're just going to count our losses. Like, you, we'll write this off.
0: Let's talk a little bit real quick because that reminded me, you know, a really cool part of this is when you go on at, at Popcom to do well, 2,300 people are going to have a little extra
1: change. That makes me feel so happy and fulfilled hmm. that, you know, these early stage investors are... Working class people that I'm going to provide a return to. That's yeah. what I'm working for, that's and it's aim. always a risk. Yeah, any invest you make, investment you make is a risk. Yes, this is a risk. Of course, I just spell out all the risks on yeah. my disclosure document. That five
0: hundred could go to zero because it that's zero just zero how it because works. that's
1: how everything works. But how does it work if you do well? They get. Money I mean, back. I hundred x 100 hundred x I ten x a ten x yeah. You know, and really, when I raised the money from the crowdfunding campaign, it was an eight million valuation. I turned right around and raised a non dilutive angel round at a ten million valuation to increase the value of those people's shares. So they've already got an increase. They've mm, already yeah on, paper. on, yes, paper, on paper, They already on have, paper. A, uh, and they can't take it out for it's a twelve month holding period with the crowdfunding to allow me to just work with the money, just like allow me to do work, you know? And so um, my goal, of course, I'm creating wealth for myself, my family, my team members, my investors, and that's everybody, my community. And it makes me feel good that um, I feel very strongly. I visualize, I see my exit when I, Mm -hmm. the exit, when I, the exit that I'm looking at right now, out this window that I see that they're going to be, 2,300 people that believed in me early and they're mm-hmm. going to be able to be like, I put in 200 and now I got X, X Y, yeah, Z out of yeah. it. You know? It's
0: not like, you know, you're not going to be raining cash, but it's going to be like, it's like a stock or it's like something that you were part of. So you don't have to read about it anymore. You were part of yes. it. Uh, wh- what do you, what do you fear? What pressures do you have when you have 2,300 people counting on you in that way? You know, I don't have any fear But
1: the pressure, the responsibility, Mm. is to keep them informed and educated. Okay. Because a lot of them are not sophisticated or educated investors. Many of them, this is their very first investment in their life, period. Yeah. So what I do is I never keep them in the dark. But you're my investor. I don't keep my investors in the dark in general. But what we do is we record and film everything. And I use my YouTube channel to Mm -hmm. keep them informed on what we're doing, what Mm -hmm. their money is paying for. Because Mm -hmm. they want to know where the money at, when's my return. This is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Film that's going to China, film that's having team meetings, record the team so you know who's on the team. You know, I'm recording when we go to Colorado for our manufacturing meeting. I want them to be there. I want them, they're, they're a part of the journey, but I want them to feel like they're a part uh-huh, of the journey and I'm uh-huh. including them, which is uh-huh. never
0: really done. I mean, it's in, in my view, just listening to you talk about this, that 500 is, is an investment in just the education alone oh of understanding. Goodness. And if you get something out of
1: it, great. And you then know? these meet and greets, like I told them, don't come to meet and greet me. I'm putting you in the room with a hundred other investors. That are in your city. In your city. And a lot of founders who invested in my crowdfunding campaign, I said, listen, you invested 250, you bought yourself a ticket to a room full of angel investors.
0: Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. They're
1: here. So don't focus on me, focus on each other. Network horizontally. Enough horizontal networking increases vertical advancement. We build up together. We don't have to reach up and say, people on the top. Please help us. No, we build horizontal. I tell people, you go to a conference, the people you need to talk to are sitting in a seat next to you. Talk to them. Mm. Build up. Mm-hmm. You know, my friends that I'm friends with now have been friends with them for 10 years. Just successful. Now they weren't when I met them. Right. We've been grinding.
0: And Issa Rae says that. Yeah,
1: we've been grinding. Just so happened, we all got it together she's, now. She's, we was
0: on each other's couches. I mean, if you think about it, in PayPal Mafia, yeah. uh, all the, you know, the Spielbergs and all all the people that. That are riding high right now. Somebody had to start somewhere. They were grinding and they, together. They, what did Pamela Jolly say? She said, uh, wealthy people uh, own things and collaborate. Yes. And this is exactly what you're describing right now. Yes. Just before we wrap up, talk to me a little bit about your early, early days. So, I, so people can put two and two together and see where that grit came from.
1: Early, early. I mean, okay, where were
0: you born? What kind of family? Born in
1: Columbus, you- Ohio. Um, you know, not not rich at all. Mm-hmm. You know, went to public school. Loved public school in Columbus, Ohio. Went to Ohio State University. Study journalism. Okay. Then I went to DeVry, I wanted to learn tech skills, went to DeVry, I went to a technical college to learn tech skills. I didn't go to Stanford, you know, I went to a technical college oh, that yeah. I saw on TV. You want to learn tech skills? Does DeVry still going on. DeVry's right. still around, and so, I got great technical skills from DeVry. And you
0: appreciate DeVry. I appreciate so DeVry. So DeVry, anyone who has a contact to DeVry, I think you need to be on a commercial. I think you need really? to be on a commercial for DeVry. Absolutely. I got technical skills there, Absolutely. and I started my
1: tech career. I started my first tech company in 2001. In the very beginning of you know people doing online media, I had a, I sold advertisement and emails, and so I've been, I've been entrepreneur in some capacity my entire adult life, starting from my my first business as a small tech company with a partner, as a consulting company, just always staying on top of like digital marketing and the movement of you know I, I was a growth hacker for a while, um, so it's like I just always love the freedom. Um, nothing, nothing was handed to me though, for sure. You know, never was handed to me. Wasn't, didn't come from wealth, didn't have wealthy, didn't have wealthy family members, but I did always see the value in networking. And the friends that I met in college at Ohio state, those were the first angel investors in flat out of heels, Hmm. my peers, Mm -hmm. those, those. So I've always gotten money from my peers, but they Mm -hmm. were accredited because they were doing well after college. And so I think the most important takeaway from my entire life is the value of treating people well at all levels and the value of seeing people for people and not for what they can do for you at the moment, but just, um, you know, for another example, at the meet and greet, a girl from elementary school had invested and she was there and I hadn't seen her mm-hmm. since elementary school. Mm-hmm. And she remembered me from elementary school. Like you were always just such a leader. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. So you never know who's watching, but I always treat people well and with respect from the from the doorman to the CEO, you know, from the janitor to the CEO. Because first of all, We've all been in all levels of life and you Mm. never know where that janitor could be. And so I just never look down on anyone. I never feel like I'm better than anyone. And then I'm always very persistent with my networking and keeping in touch. You get my updates, Mm -hmm. my my newsletter. I I send an update at least every quarter to 500 people that know me and they're not, they just let them know what I'm doing.
0: Yes. Yes. You know, if you are someone who is listening to this on your work break at the call center, your work break at the DMV, et cetera. What what kind of what kind of hope do you see for the future? What is technology affording us in the future if we are not already in it?
1: I mean, I always tell people, you know, technology and tech companies have the same needs and service needs as other companies. So if you have a skill set that you're applying to the call center, I mean, we need customer service for yeah. our tech company. We have graphic design. We have marketing. These are not all technical skills. It's a company. We have HR. My HR person has no tech background. Mm. You know, my I have a content director. I, like all these people are not, um, they didn't go to school for tech, but they're working in tech. And they're continuing to expand their knowledge and be exposed to more things by being in a tech environment. But whatever skill set that you have is certainly translatable in a tech company, in a tech environment. And then you get into that company and you see like, okay, where do I fit in? Okay, I like this. Take a class on it. Read about it. Go to a workshop. The coding boot camps are popping up everywhere and they're very, very good and effective. I hired someone out of a coding boot camp. Yes. He didn't have a coding background initially, but he had a very strong background in the arts. He is a great communicator and he has a great personality. He's a great human being and he's he learned how to code in a boot camp. All right, I want you on my team because I like you on a human level. Mm. Any skill can be taught. Culture cannot be taught. Being a decent human being cannot be taught. Mm-hmm. So that's what I hire for is like culture. But the coding boot camps go to one, they're in every city now. Right. And just, you know, get in where you fit in, study at night, Udemy, take classes on Udemy, take classes on uh, what's the other free education platform that my Linda, daughter does? There's, there's Linda, so many. Yeah.
0: There's so many, but you got
1: to invest in yourself. You know, you have to do the work. You can't just sit around and be like, Oh, I want to do it. What should I do? Start right now, yeah. today, when, when you get off work, go watch something and learn. Get a book,
0: yeah, do something, read a book, Google. Google, read a book. Your
1: Google, yeah, do something. Yes, and it, and it, and it, you know, your skill sets are transferable. It can be
0: at any level. Investing in yourself doesn't mean having thousands of dollars to invest mm-hmm. in yourself, it means any level, any time, time is investment. Time, yes, and then finally, what is next? What is next for you? Next, getting the product out. You know, we have these 2,300 amazing
1: individuals that invested in helping us to get the product out, fund entire new development, which my product was stolen last year. That's a whole other podcast, Mm. but um, had to rebuild it from scratch again. And that is done. We've completed that. Rebuilt the CADs, rebuilt, rebuilt the machine. It will be in the United States from China in August, and we're mass producing it in the United States. And so that's the next steps, you know, fulfilling the customers because for, the interesting thing about popcorn we never had a problem with sales i've had to refund six customers money because I'm like I can't give you your product yet I
0: can confirm that because I was there
1: yes Yes. you told me and I did do that that was hard that was hard to refund that check I did not want to I think that's a networking
0: situation because that's going to come back I I hope it does but the point of that is you had people big companies giving me money they want that product you just couldn't afford to build it and get it out there because it's such a huge undertaking
1: yes it's called non-recurring engineering cost NRE and it's the cost you pay up front that you never pay again so it doesn't go into your long term burn but you might pay $250,000 250000 just to get a product out that's going to cost you 5000 to make again. Yeah, Just the first one cost a quarter of a million dollars. And that's where it was at. And I didn't know because you don't know what you don't know. And so you're right there and it's like, oh, shit, I didn't know this. I didn't raise enough money because I didn't know.
0: Well, I hope that I'm very proud of you and I'm, I'm excited about your product going out. And I hope that one of the other things that's on your... Horizon is that book you said you were thinking about writing because, yeah. you just taught everybody a lot of things, and you know, um, I think that's it's what's missing in the market. I have right my
1: now. podcast, which I'm working to grow how the do bars. we how do we
0: see you so what you it's called bars bars b-a-r-s exclamation i'm I'm not gonna be upset that i haven't been invited to it um i know because we haven't had
1: guests yet it should only Mm. well only we have brian as a but we're gonna talk christy i had christy you weren't available arlen she was you know arlen Arlen. is a rock star she didn't even be available i feel like get her autograph (laughs) and just be like i know arlen no i do (laughs) here go my cat table she's on it i promise you i know arlen
0: yeah but yes
1: when i get it back rolling because you know my my number one priority is 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 building the business. But the podcast is coming. It's on Apple and Spotify now under Bars. There's
0: archives, right? Yes. Bars, bars. by Don yes, Dixon. Yes, yes,
1: by Don Dixon. And then I'm on all social media under Don Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N. And I'm always giving out game. I'm so passionate about it. My medium blog is full of gems for you for free. You know, yes. I'm so passionate about sharing
0: this information. Oh, we'll make sure to link to all that on our website Thank as well. Thank you. But listen, uh, this has been wonderful. I know we we have chapters and chapters to go, so I am excited to keep checking in with you as you go. And I really appreciate the the groundbreaking work that you have done. I don't think people get it yet. I don't think people understand just how big this is. The first million from the public. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be really interesting. And so, um, thank you for letting me be part of that journey with you. And thanks for coming by. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out. As the real book, oh my goodness! And it'll be—you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast. Thank you again to Digital Ocean for sponsoring this episode. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode of Your First Million, get in touch with me um, right now. It's soups easy to do so. You just email me at arlenhamilton Hamilton at Gmail. That's A R L A N. H A M I L T O N at gmail.com and uh, put in the subject that you want to that you're thinking about sponsoring and I'll give you some more information. Um, This is a really highly engaged audience, really, really uh, educated either traditional means or through grit and tenacity or a little bit of both. And uh, yeah, these are the people you want to be talking to. You got you got aspiring founders. You've got in the trenches founders. You've got aspiring angel investors and active angel investors. You've also got venture capitalists. You've also got limited partners. And then you have people who are listening in to learn all about what all of that means. And so it's a really interesting group of people. Check it out. Thank you again, Digital Ocean, for sponsoring. Your First Million is produced and edited by Anna Eichenauer and senior producer Brian Landers. Additional audio mixing and mastering by Alfred Rook Hamilton. Additional production by Chacho Valadez. Executive producer, Arlen Hamilton.